Hello, and thank you for listening to Rangers to the Corps. This podcast is brought to you by the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, Wilmington District Environmental Education Team. With this podcast, we strive to keep you informed, educated, and give you a behind-the-scenes look at everyday life as a park ranger. I'm your host, Dylan Brown, and it is time to get to the core of today's topic. And so with us today, we have Mr. Tom Conroy, who's visiting with us from the Coast Guard Auxiliary, and uh, we'll get more to him in a moment, and I'll let him introduce himself. And then you got me, Dylan Brown, and we have Carmen Boyette with us today, Emily Jones, Jory Taylor, and Grace Trimble. So how's it going, guys? Great. Doing great, Dylan. Awesome. So we're going to get started with our icebreaker today. So our question is... What's your earliest childhood memory of being on or around the water? Ooh, for me, that's a, that's a tough one. I think my earliest childhood memory is probably going to be fishing at farm ponds or trout fishing the river. What about you, Carmen? My earliest memory is actually at a swimming pool and uh, taking swimming lessons is something I did uh, year after year. Um, I would go and and it was a pretty large pool. I think now it's turned into something else, but uh, my mom would take me and I remember her. She would sit uh, near the side reading a book and I would be with the swim instructor um, learning how to swim. How about you, Grace? Oh, that's a good question. So for me, it would probably be Uh, visiting Rocky Gap State Park, uh, which is a state park in Maryland. Um, It has a little lake to it and a swim beach. And we visited that lake numerous times as a child. I remember having birthday parties and all kinds of things there. And then I also remember we would visit my aunt and uncle in Pasadena, Maryland, and they had a pool. And so I remember going there thinking they were the coolest because they had a above ground pool. So that was also an early memory of mine. Awesome. Uh, what about you, Jory? I like this question and mine's a little different, I guess, than everyone else's. But uh, my earliest memory was at my home where I grew up and there was a little mountain stream that ran past our house that was full of salamanders and crawdads. And my brother spent as many hours of the day as we could in that little stream. And it very fond memory awesome yeah i can definitely uh i definitely feel you on that one me and my brothers we grew up with a creek behind our house and spent a lot of time doing the exact same thing what about you emily for me i think even though i live now in the piedmont of kind of the north carolina virginia area um i grew up in my early childhood actually near the beach of north carolina near the beaches the coast of north carolina and so my earliest childhood memories of being on or around the water is, is actually going to some of the really awesome beaches that North Carolina has. We used to go to Emerald Isle all the time when I was a, a wee one a little kid. And so um, I remember going with a bunch of different friends and family, you know, and, and having a good time swimming out in the ocean. So that's probably my earliest childhood memories. I didn't always love the sand when I was a little one, but... <laughs> <laughs> now, now I'm better with it. So, <laughs> oh, that's funny. I have a two and a half year old, and I know when we took him to the beach for his first time, he absolutely hated the sand, and we thought that was so funny. So, <laughs> it's just kind of a clean freak, I guess. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, last but not least, what about Tom? Well, in my case, I grew up on the Chesapeake Bay in a place called Middle River which was, would have been up on the, uh, the upper part of the bay. 
And uh, like you, we had a little creek out back, a little river actually. And uh, we go in there and, and do our fishing for bluegill and sunnies back <laughs> in the day. It took an awful lot of those bluegill and sunnies to fill up the frying pan. But, oh, I uh, bet. That was, that was a great time. And I remember going in the water a lot of times as a kid and feeling this nibbling on my feet. Did you ever do that and find out it's a little crab or something going after your toes? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> they all know. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, that's awesome. Um, so that's a pretty good icebreaker for today. Um, that's a great question, too. I really like that one. Um, for our audience listening, if you want to leave your first memory in the comments on the podcast, uh, that'd be awesome. Uh, maybe we'll have a few that we can uh, read off on the next podcast. I think that'd be really cool. Let's get to the core of today's topic, and I'll turn it over to Emily. She's going to get us started there. Awesome. Thank you, Dylan. So for this month, July, for our podcast, we are kind of focusing actually on basically all of the different uniforms and people working or volunteering at our lake projects that help keep things operating smoothly and all encourage safety. And so our our weekly podcasts are gonna be broken down, talking a little bit more about some of those different managing agencies and partners, depending on um, which lake you visit. So many times when folks come to our lake projects here in the Wilmington district, you might see us, you know, federal park rangers with the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers wearing our uniforms, but you also might see some other different managing agencies and partners. And it can be kind of confusing if you just take a quick look at our uniforms because they actually almost all look very similar (laughs) and very general color scheme. I know for myself, I get asked a lot, are you a game warden? Are you the conservation police? Um, You know, and are you going to check my fishing license? And we're going to kind of get into all of that coming up, you know, in, in, in this episode, as well as all of our other episodes this month. So all of our partner agencies and organizations that work um, around all of our lake projects. Although we wear similar uniforms, we do do different things, but we all work to promote um, safety both on and off the water. Now, our one common partner that we have at every single one of our lake projects here in the Wilmington District is our U.S. Coast Guard Auxiliary Groups. And so that is this longer episode this this month is going to be interviewing Tom on the podcast and talking to him more about what the U.S. Coast Guard Auxiliary Groups do on our lake projects, why they're there, and all of that um, fun stuff. So, But make sure you listen to our other podcasts um, this month because we will talk about some of those other agencies and uniforms you'll see in and around our lakes. So stay tuned. Awesome. So, uh, yeah, on that uh all those different agencies definitely play a vital role, especially uh, I want to highlight the Department of Wildlife Resources, both in North Carolina and Virginia. Those guys usually have scheduled patrols on most of our lakes every weekend, and uh, they really make a big difference as far as keeping everything in check on the lake, making sure everybody's safe, making sure everybody's obeying the laws. So big shout out to them. So with that being said, we'll go on and get into our interview with Tom here. So Tom, if you will, I'll go ahead and uh, let you uh, introduce yourself a little bit and uh, then we'll get into it. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah, my name is Tom Conroy. I retired a number of years ago from Baltimore District Corps of Engineers. Started out building dams and flood control projects. Nice. Up around Raystown. Raystown was our big project up in Pennsylvania. But regardless, things changed. I eventually ended up on the water 
and in the water a few times, too. Uh, Haven't we all? Yeah, things they transferred me to Fort McHenry, and I spent most of my career there at Fort McHenry, Star Spangled Banner, real historic place there. Yeah. I uh, was a deckhand aboard a survey vessel for a number of years. I was still officially a hydrographic survey technician then, but they said, look, we can use this particular experience that you are gaining toward a real deckhand position if it becomes available or better. And a lot of things happened. I got my license. I spent about 25,000 hours surveying the Chesapeake Bay from just above Baltimore all the way down to close to Norfolk. So we covered a lot of area, every hundred feet back and forth across the channel, taking a look at making sure we had the proper depth and that there weren't obstructions within the shipping channels. And we worked with uh, Fort Eustis. They had a dive team, LCU 1675 supported us when we had certain things that had to be cleared out. But uh, best job of my life. I absolutely loved it. Oh, I bet. Uh, at Chesapeake Bay, it's a pretty place to work, too. It was so nice. The tributaries, there was so much to see. Great seafood. So let's uh, let's start with this. Um, how did you get affiliated with the Coast Guard Auxiliary? Oh, that's a great, a great question here today. Back in the days when I was doing surveys, we had obstructions in channels, and we would have to remove those obstructions. So we would call the Coast Guard in to provide a security zone around that particular area. This happened quite a bit. So I got a chance to to really know the Coast Guard, and there were times that I thought, wow, why didn't I join the Coast Guard? And somebody, <laughs> somebody says, hey, you know, there is the Coast Guard Auxiliary. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, there really is. And these are basically people that are civilians, but we are uniformed. We follow the military protocols and so forth. We get the same training that the regular Coast Guard gets. So that's how it all started, and I, I went into Coast Guard Auxiliary in uh, 1999, I believe. So it's been quite a few years now. Oh, cool. Yeah, we're, we are the volunteer side. Our big mission is recreational boating safety, which is what you guys do, because we work so closely with you guys. And the same thing when I was with the Corps. I worked with your, your office many times on getting all kinds of uh, handouts and things like that we do you know, when we were doing public safety or public service events and stuff like that. Absolutely. That's awesome. So speak about the Coast Guard Auxiliary itself a little bit. What does the Coast Guard Auxiliary do in general? And uh, you just hit on it a little bit, right? specifically for water safety as well. Right. Well, certainly recreational boating safety is our number one mission. But the Coast Guard Auxiliary goes way back to 1939. We've got roughly 20,000 volunteers. And, you know, it started out, we were somewhat limited on what we were able to do. But uh, in more recent years, especially after 9-11, the Coast Guard Auxiliary was then allowed to do pretty much anything that the regular Coast Guard does, as long as it was not direct law enforcement or direct military. Okay. So that put us in position to do all kinds of things, like container ship inspections. You know, we would look for contraband and things like that. Hmm. That was one of our other missions. We were involved in port security. You know, we were the eyes and the ears, force multiplier. You know that term. Yeah. That's something that we did. And, uh, you know, we trained with the Corps of Engineers. They trained with us. 
it was a real it was a nice working relationship that we had but uh, but our again recreational boating safety still continues to be number one so we're teaching people that maybe have had no experience a little bit about boating safety and there's a lot to it there really is and it's surprising you know how little people really know when they first get into it yeah it, it really is speaking of the coast guard you guys are the way you're organized so for example in the army you might be a company or a battalion or a division so aren't you guys called a flotilla Did I get that right, right? The, the flotilla is the lowest level within the united states coast guard auxiliary that's the local level the meat and potatoes of the organization i often say okay our leadership is made up of people that are part of a flotilla and were elected so when you see the coast guard auxiliary you see all these stripes and yeah when you go on base that's probably pretty impressive but we do not salute one another we earn those stripes based on the office that we hold okay so that that's how it all works but we're not truly military so i right. have to make that very very clear yeah. we work very closely with the regular coast guard I, I absolutely love it they respect us we obviously learn and respect them as well awesome so that, that's very interesting uh, that's you've already taught me more than i knew about the coast guard auxiliary so as far as locally what kind of events do you hold at local lakes at local lakes, we're, we're usually involved in recreational things like vessel examinations. That's a big thing. Going through a vessel, making sure you have all the federally required safety equipment. That's what you guys also do, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. So that, that's very important. Uh, we have a, a couple of other programs where we go around to schools and we entertain and teach the kids all at the same time. We okay. haven't done that in a while, but that's something that I, th I think we need to eventually get back to doing more so of. The boating safety class is very thorough, very, very in-depth. And I tell people all the time, uh, if you're a recreational person on the water, you're not doing this every day. You know, you right. guys, you're on the water a couple times a week, probably, most of the, the core people. So you gain that experience. You retain that experience. Right. But... You know, even though you may take a course, I think it's a great idea about every two or three years. Go through it again. is isn't going to hurt you to do that, and you may even learn a few things. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, especially that, uh, I mean, you can do it online for free, if nothing oh, else, just, a, just as a memory refresher. So, yeah, absolutely. I was uh, actually sitting in a class just over this past weekend. Learned something new to that. I, I didn't know about this, but if you have a fire extinguisher, in your vessel, the new laws now require that they be disposed of after 12 years. They'll, they'll usually be somewhere on there. could be on the bottom of the fire extinguisher. There will be a date code. It may even be on the label. They're, they haven't standardized this. But if they're more than 12 years old, goodbye. Get yourself a new one. All right. So y'all make sure you check your uh, fire extinguishers out there. Yeah. All right. Very good. So what does the Coast Guard Auxiliary do like nationwide? Do they do anything else across the nation that differs from what your flotilla does here locally? I would say probably not. We, okay. we do everything related to recreational boating safety. That is, again, the primary mission that we do. But we do radio watch at Coast Guard facilities, for instance. 
Oh, cool. Uh, like I say, some of the commercial vessel inspections. We often sit in when professional mariners are, are working to get their license. So we're there as license examiners at the same time. We're basically just trying to make it a little easier for the U.S. Coast Guard. With As you know, they have a very limited number of, of men and women in there. I'm thinking about 40-some thousand. Right. I mean, I think, this, I, I think the police department in New York has more than that. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I know their numbers are pretty low. I'm not sure exactly what they are. That'd be a that'd be a fun little stat to look up. But yeah, that's, that's a great point. So having that auxiliary is a huge plus as far as just having more eyes and ears out there go. Oh, it, it, it absolutely is true. And as I said, so many missions that the Coast Guard does counts on us to help them out to make their job a little bit easier. We really come from a lot of different backgrounds, and I encourage anybody, you know, if you're 17 or older, you've got a nice clean record, you'll go through a security check and so forth, and you'll get basically qualified, and you you also can become part of the U.S. Coast Guard Auxiliary and, and support the Coast Guard. I mean, it's it's fabulous. Life-saving. Yeah. I forgot to say it. Obviously, life-saving is what we do. We're also out there doing patrols yeah. on all the waterways, including the lakes and so forth. Things happen. We're the ones to pull people out of the water and try to save lives. I mean, that that is such a big, big thing. Oh, yeah. And some of those uh, bodies of water are so big. If you're waiting for somebody on land to react to you, I mean, you're looking at several minutes. And if you got people out there patrolling that's already on the water whether it be a uh, uniformed agency or something like an auxiliary that's that's a huge huge plus yeah we work so closely in training with the coast guard that we have the skills that they have the only advantage they have for us obviously is most of the coast guard people are much younger than we are (laughs) so they can do the physical things Whereas we have to be a little bit more careful, we have our limitations, too, because of our age. Of course. Uh, we, I wish we had more young auxiliarists, but, you know, that could change in time. Oh, yeah, for sure. So let's get into some of the water safety. So what is your opinion on causes for the most water, for most water accidents? Drinking. Drinking, okay. Alcohol is a bad, bad mix on the water. It really is. You've got the heat. You've got the wave action. It it will wear you down under the best of situations. You do the alcohol, that's a depressant. It slows everything down. You don't have your balance anymore. You know, there's people that do not have sea legs that haven't been <laughs> drinking. You throw a couple of beers or alcohol or marijuana, whatever the case may be. You know, the, these things just don't work on the water. And then on top of this, I don't know what it is about people not wearing life jackets. But life jackets are not the old nasty things we had when we were kids. Right. We didn't like those orange things around us. But, you know, these new vests that they have out now, so comfortable. Inflatables. You don't even know you have them on. They have special ones now. You know, say you're a hunter or maybe you're out on the water. Flotation jackets. You guys wear those, too. These are all great because they provide not only protection from hypothermia, but they keep you alive, keep you above the water. We're not fish. We need to be above the water. We need that oxygen. Right. So awesome. So you kind of hit on uh, my next part of the question there is what's uh, what can people do to prevent boating accidents? Be educated. I think that's probably number one. You have to know the, the basic right away rules. Yes. You have to have the proper equipment aboard your vessel and you have to know how to use that. 
I mean, that that's so important. And I say again, wear life jackets. You know, things happen so quickly on the water. You don't have time to go grabbing for a life jacket when there's been an impact of something because of, of loss of situational awareness. So if you have that on, that's the one thing that is definitely going to help you. Will everybody live through a collision? Probably not. But that life jacket still is number one. You have to do that. Stay away from alcohol. Absolutely. Yeah, it's summertime in general with uh, alcohol don't mix the way it uh, dehydrates you. And then right. you, um, you couple that with being on the water. And as you said earlier, the, the sea legs, um, being on on a boat, experiencing that motion while intoxicated on top of everything else, it, it's definitely a, a multiplier for the effects. For it, sure. it really is. And you mentioned, you know, having enough fluids. Okay, you say, all right, we won't do beer, we'll do sweet tea. You know, here in the South, we love our sweet tea. Well, <laughs> and we love our Pepsis and Cokes and Colas and caffeinated this and that. Well, the problem, those things are diuretics. Right. And diuretics, you know what happens there. You re, you lose your body fluids as a result, uh, and then you get yourself dehydrated out there, and you have more trouble. Absolutely. I know uh, I've tried to swim dehydrated before, oh. and... Uh, it, it's horrible if, if you've never experienced that i don't i don't wish it on anyone but it's uh it's quite the experience it, oh it's it very, is very uncomfortable yes it is and i i tell people too before you go out file what we call a float plan real simple thing i know that sounds like a big deal float plan what are they talking about well it's real simple you tell your friends or your family say hey look we're going to go out on the water we will be in this particular vessel here's who's going to be with me Here's where we're planning on transiting, and here's the time we expect to be back. Call us if we're not back. You know, you have to do that because if something does happen, it makes it a lot easier for the first responders that are coming to try to find you because they'll have some idea what your plans were. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. I know as far as at work goes, anytime we go out on a vessel patrol out on the lake, there's a, a float plan done, or at least supposed to be a float plan done, for the exact same reason. So um, it, it, that's a good practice for everybody to have, for sure. It is. It's absolutely so important. And there's so many other things. You hear of these catastrophes where people's boats blow up. Most of the time, they're cabin cruisers. Not always, but many times. And I, I can't stress that enough, is when you get fuel, make sure you run your blower for yep. 10 minutes or so before you get underway and open up the hatch use the nose I, I know they have all the fancy electronics that are supposed to do the sniffing for you <laughs> i still believe the nose unless you have sinus issues is probably your best bet so don't ever ever start a boat if you smell fumes absolutely i mean and a fiberglass boat will go up so quickly so what is the main thing you want the audience to know about the coast guard auxiliary Well, the key thing is, again, that we are there to serve the public. We're volunteers. We love boating safety. We enjoy being on the water just like you do. But we want to see you come back in one piece. We want safety. I mean, that's what it's all about. Education, education. And as I say, serving your country. That's what it's all about. So speaking of that, how can one get involved with the Coast Guard Auxiliary? And what are the requirements for getting involved? Be at least age 17. 
You have to have a clean record for sure. CGAux.org, I believe, is the website where you can go. You can actually look in there. It'll, it'll have an area where you put in your zip code, and you can find a local flotilla right there. Oh, nice. So, you know, once you make that contact, they will be in touch with you and help walk you through, mentor you through all of the different programs that you have to go through. You have all your, your basic training that's required before you become a member. It's not difficult. It's done online. Yeah, join the Coast Guard Auxiliary. You'll, you'll like the camaraderie that we have. We come in from all kinds of different walks of life. It's amazing, the professional people that are in the auxiliary. But we've all come from different fields. And, and boy, that's what makes it such a great organization. Oh, that is interesting. It, it really is. There's a lot of a lot of experience that we can fall back on. And, you know, we've seen some people that have decided, okay, I'm going to do Radio Watch. Other people go for the boat crew program, whether you're one that is a crew or the coxswain. Other people are are involved in helping the Coast Guard at the different stations. A very rewarding qualification is to be in food service, where you can serve aboard a ship, possibly at a Coast Guard station or different events. It's very rewarding, very nice that we're able to help the Coast Guard out in that way, too. So it's, it's really cool. And then education in, in vessel examinations. Does anyone else have any questions for Tom that is they're burning to know? I have a question. Um, Tom, you've talked about so many amazing, amazing things and water safety tips for everybody. I was wondering if you have any water safety tips, not just for people operating a motorboat of some sort, but also those who might be in kayaks or canoes or stand up paddle boards. Um, you know, not everybody always thinks about how those are vessels as well. And we got to have everybody being safe on the water. Emily, you, you were so right there. I would say with those, one of my thoughts is make sure you find a life jacket or a PFD that is going to work for you because they've got great PFDs just for paddling. Mm-hmm. canoeing and stuff like that now these great big you don't want a, a type one like you use on the ocean while you're out there canoeing right. but they they've got such comfortable ones right now get yourself a good life jacket and still as i say know the basic rules of the road because there will be people out there that do not know the rules and sometimes you know you're going to be in a tough situation it's like what do i do to get out of this yeah one of the yeah. biggest ones i would say for paddle sports as well that's very very important is knowing how to upright a vessel by yourself excellent um excellent that's a big one as far as uh i mean especially in cold conditions you're looking at hypothermia if you need to get back to shore quickly if if you don't have the strength or the knowledge of that fulcrum point inside that vessel to and the technique you need to use to upright it in the water that's definitely something you need to practice at like a a shallow part of a lake or something like that to make sure that you you have that down i am so glad you brought that up and it, it brings me to a point that happened to me a couple of years ago i was out on smith mountain lake in virginia and I had my son with me. We were on a PWC, a jet ski, and I was trying to pull something out of the water that had fallen over. And we were, you know, just sitting there at idle. And boy, that, that jet ski rolled over really easy. <laughs> yeah, we were both in the water. My son was just calling me every name imaginable. But, uh, but we had our life jackets on. So it's like, oh, we're just kind of bobbing along here. This is fun. The water feels good doesn't always feel good as you say when it's hypothermia when it's cold but uh 
there is on the back of a jet ski, there's usually an arrow on the back, which will tell you the direction that you need to roll that thing to get it upright. So if you know that, you get on the proper side of that vessel, reach over. There's usually a place somewhere underneath there that you can grab on at the keel. And you, that boat will roll right back over again. And then you get back on it from the stern. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. And it works. It works beautifully. It's, well, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what we want to happen. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, you mentioned hypothermia, too. I know we think, oh, the water is 60 degrees or it's 70 degrees. Well, the body temperature's 98.6, roughly. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can still get hypothermia in this nice, warm water that we think is really warm. If you're in there long enough, it's going to lower that core temperature. Absolutely. That's a great point that a lot of people don't know or, or just don't think about. That's, it uh, it that's very can good. happen, yeah. And if a boat goes over, something happens, the key thing is to stay with that vessel. You know, if it rolled over, get up out of the water, pull yourself up and get up there on the top of that vessel. You know, responders are more likely to find you if you're with a vessel because it's a bigger target. And other people on the lake can see you. So you know? absolutely, right. and and we have all these great tools now that you can use. SOS now it used to be flares. Everybody used flares. Uh, not many people are doing flares anymore, but they have these new battery-operated SOS devices now, and they flash. Yeah. And those things are cool. You have your great big orange day signal that you can lay over your vessel or lay over your head as long as you can breathe. Right. <laughs> and you'll that'll that'll also allow you to be seen. And when things happen, too, we, you know, we talk about tossing things to somebody, especially if they don't have a life jacket on. Anything that floats, you don't toss it right at them, but you toss it near them. It could be a cooler. Even that can save a life. Right. It's amazing. We don't think about these things. Oh, no. I, I do a program with kids where we talk about our reach, throw, robe. I do love that. Go. Yes. And uh, one of the things I tell them, if, if they're at a lake, say, having a picnic or something, if you have a two-liter bottle and a piece of rope, I mean, if you screw the top of that thing tight enough, it'll at least float the rope out to where the person is, where they can at least get a hold of that. Absolutely. So you, you can make one on the fly Yeah. pretty quickly. Hey, another little tip. Awesome. Uh, I hear someone else earlier that I think might have had a question. I have a, a second question. For Tom, that's really just clarifying for everybody. Um, you know, you, you and Dylan explained really well the relationship between the Corps and the Coast Guard Auxiliary in terms of, you know, our lake projects, our reservoirs that we manage and you guys operate on, your flotillas operate on. Is there any other bodies of water that you all operate on? Just for everybody listening, you know, to understand more about where they might see the Coast Guard Auxiliary. Water in the U.S., navigable waters, how, how do you all talk it about It would that? be, it would be navigable waters, absolutely. So at Chesapeake Bay along the coast, that's where we're going to be. We're going to be at many of the lakes in, in, in all states where there's lakes and there's a number of people out there. We're going to be there. Very good. So if no one has anything else, Tom, thank you very much for letting us interview you today and talking about the Coast Guard Auxiliary. It was a treat to have you on. Uh, I, know, I know I learned something about the Coast Guard Auxiliary that I didn't know. I was thinking it was uh, that the Coast Guard Auxiliary was sort of like... Like the VFW or the uh, or you know those veteran organizations groups, yeah. where you got to be a Coast Guard member in order to get in, but uh, it's more like Civil Air Patrol where anybody can do it. 
Exactly. We we yeah. are definitely a volunteer organization, and Very cool. you mentioned we're our structure is also a lot like it is with the Corps, where you have your flotilla, you have your district, and your divisions. Yeah, same thing. Gotcha. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Well, awesome. Thank you. Thank you for coming in. Is, is there anything else you wanted to cover before you go? No, other than, again, I can't stress this enough. Don't be out there drinking and boating. Yeah, you listen to music and it glorifies this. Oh, yeah, we go out and have a beer on the boat and this and that. You can't be doing that stuff, you know, so be careful. We don't want to read about you in the paper, okay? That's right. And by the way, thank you so much for having me today. It's been a whole lot of fun, Dylan. Awesome. Well, Thanks again, Tom, and uh, I'm going to turn it over to Grace. She's going to tell us a little bit about what's on the horizon for us. Okay, thanks, Dylan, and thanks, Tom, for being on with us today. Uh, So we are going to wrap up this podcast by talking a a little bit about what we have going on in the near future. Um, So I'm going to open up to everybody else. Does anybody have any upcoming programs or volunteer events that they want to share with the public at this time? I got a couple, uh, probably the third weekend of July. I'm still trying to nail it down, but watch our Facebook page at Philpot Lake. We'll try to announce it there. But uh, I've had Dr. Todd Fredrickson from Ferrum come and do two programs already at the lake. One of them was a bird watching program. The other was a reptile program. I actually took my kid to that one. He got to hold some snakes and turtles and stuff, and he had a blast. But uh, he's going to come back in July and we're going to do a bug program. So we're going to go for a walk in the woods and turn over some rocks and logs. And uh, Todd's going to tell us all about the the different beetles and insects. And then August the 1st, we will be doing back to school night at in Stewart, Virginia. That'll be held at uh, DeHart Park there in Stewart. The Sheriff's Department, Patrick County Sheriff's Department called and invited us out to that. So we're going to be there trying to have some things for the kids to do, uh, have our water safety handouts and that sort of thing. So come see us. At uh, John H. Carr, um, the best place to find our information on what programs, public programs, and volunteer events we're having is really on our Facebook page. So search us, um, John H. Carr Reservoir, Bugs Island Lake, on the face on Facebook, and um, you'll find our campground calendars. We have programs every weekend in um, our campgrounds run by volunteers and rangers and we do have some upcoming volunteer events this month in july but um check out our facebook page like us follow us you know all of our lake projects and that's one of the best ways to find out about stuff at john h Carr. thanks grace Um, And also, this is kind of a reminder that we are calling for um, videographers to enter the 2023 Life Jacket Video Contest, um, which is coming up. The deadline for that is September 8th. Uh, To find out more, you can just search Life Jacket Video Contest uh, using your favorite search engine. And uh, a sneak peek for August, what our next month's podcast um, is going to be about is what makes us here at the core special and kind of the things that we do at each lake and we're kind of do a deep dive about um, some of the things we have going on at each project um, and what we do there. And a fun fact or tip 
for environmental education that I want to share is uh, World Ranger Day is July 31st. Uh, so that is um, an annual thing every year. It's always on July 31st, and it's kind of a day set aside to recognize park rangers around the world, meant to honor those who dedicate their lives to protecting wildlife, habitats, and natural resources. And these are, I mean, park rangers, we know uh, what a park ranger does with the core, but there's park rangers all over the world that do, you know, very vastly different things than what we do. Um, and some of them are risking their lives for protecting the, the environment. Um, so it's also a way to spread awareness of conservation issues around that's happening all around the world um, from habitat loss, environment destruction, and climate change. So July 31st, uh, World Ranger Day. And I'm going to turn it back to Dylan. Awesome. Thank you very much. Uh, I did not know World Ranger Day was a thing, so that's a new one on me, but that is very cool. So we'll close today with our water safety tip of the month, and I think I'm going to piggyback off what Tom said today, and that is going to be avoid using alcohol while on the water. Uh, save it for the after party, if you will, for when you're done boating for the day, um, but let's, let's avoid partaking at all on the water, especially if you are going to be a vessel operator. All right. So thanks again for listening to Rangers to the Core. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and maybe even learned something new. Please leave us a review on our podcast platforms and comment any topics you wish to be covered. You can also direct message us at any of our Lake Facebook pages. Just search for Phil Pot, John H. Carr, W. Kerr Scott, Falls, or Jordan Lakes, and give us a follow there as well. Until next time, stay safe on the water and enjoy your time outdoors.